we lost everything in, in 2014. We were out of our home. We were homeless. We had to completely start our lives over. No matter what, she puts up with whatever. Not whatever. She puts up with a lot. <laughs> and she always wants to be with me. Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate. A dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online at couplesynergy.com or on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Couple Synergy. And please subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring your experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 25 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. So we've created not only an avenue you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home saloon, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Damon and Celeste. Damon Nichols is the author of The Breakout Blueprint, Reforming Old Belief Systems, Eliminating Toxic Habits, and Overcoming Fear to Achieve True Freedom. I want to thank the two of you for being on our podcast today. I know you guys have a, you have a really very interesting story, Damon, and want to definitely jump into that. Uh, but thank you again for being on our podcast today, guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're honored to be here. So, you know, before we dive into your story, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? How old are you? How long have you guys been together? And what do you do for a living? You want to tell them about us a little bit? Um, we've been uh, together almost 20 years, married for almost. 15, right? 15 years. Yes. Yeah, 15. I lost track. But we are, we live in La Junta, Colorado. Actually, I'm sorry, we're, we live in Rocky Ford, another neighboring little town. And um, so I'm uh, a stay at home mom. Yes. <laughs> she's 45, I'm 55. And we've, we've been, we've been through so much together. Uh, we own a few different businesses. We we actually met in the treatment center uh, in 2002. We were both uh, trying to get our lives together at that point. And we didn't, we just were kind of friends at that time. And it wasn't until after we got out of treatment, about six months after that, uh, we reconnected in it at an NA meeting. And kind of from there, we've been together. But we own a few different businesses. We own some real estate. Uh, we bought and sold quite a bit of properties, clean up a lot of properties around Otero County. And we have a restaurant that's kind of, it's been, it's been a rough road. It's called Creekside Smokehouse. It's a barbecue place. And uh, we also own a storage shed building company. We kind of travel all around the country and put up storage sheds. So that's kind of what we do. And you know, we've, we've become best friends and it wasn't always like that. There was a time where we did not get along very well. We could barely sit in the same room. So, another important factor is we do have seven children between the two of us. He has three, I have three, and then we have one together. Um, six are all adults and out of the house. Then we have our 14 year old who's still at home. And then we are grandparents of yeah. um, one. The fourth one on the way, but they're all girls. So four brown baby girls. Nice. Fantastic. We we are actually new grandparents ourselves. So congrats <laughs> yeah. to you guys. To a little girl. To a little girl. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. 
Yeah, yeah and, and by the way, I'm, I'm a huge fan of barbecue. So I think if we swing uh, over to the eastern part of the state there, we might have to, have to stop come in. by and check out the, your brisket. Definitely, yeah, the briskets. Yeah. My favorite. Yeah. So your question for them, right? Well, they sort of started they talking started about talking how you about met, but talk, talk about how you guys got together. So we met in a in a program called Stout Street Foundation, and it's a two-year treatment program. And and usually that's a, a program that, that's when you've gone through like everything else, and, and that's kind of the last step. For me, it was... It was the alternative to a 12-year prison sentence. So when you go through one of these programs, you know, it's, it's two years. You, you don't, you spend a, the first few months in there, you have no contact with the outside world whatsoever. And you just, you're doing all of this uh, really deep work on yourself. And, and at the same time, usually more times than not coming off of some kind of an addiction. And, and so we met in those kind of circumstances and. We, we kind of got to know each other. I was actually in a position where I was a, an orientation coordinator and I'd been there a few months and all of the people that came in, uh, I taught them their, all of the, the rules and how to, how to work their way through the program. And she was, she was the one that first came in and, and got to be basically kind of like, uh, uh, one of my, we, she's considered one of my OGs, which is, you know, somebody that I got to train through the, the progress and we never really had any there was no uh was not nothing between us at all just we saw each other from day to day and that was about it so and then what happened so we got out and we met at this this na meeting and well he got out before i did and then I was in the end part of the program, and we were required to go to AA or NA meetings. And so that's where I reconnected with him. And basically, he just asked for my phone number and told me he was going to call me all the time. And he called me the next day, and that we've been together ever since. Yeah. So, so we went. We went through. Um, I know it was it was a really uh, kind of weird relationship because you know I had I had a, a few years before I'd gotten an accident and um, the mother of my two oldest boys was killed so I was dealing with that when she came along and and it got involved with all of me trying to heal and, and process that so. She got kind of the. Uh, it was hard. It was hard. She kind of got the the raw deal with me, and and I don't know what it was that she saw in me, but it was something. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. We we date started dating, and she was at the finishing out the last part of the program. And then we we moved in together, and. And we went to, to Winter Park for a year, and it was it was rough because I had I had my two oldest boys living with me at the time, and so she took this huge responsibility on, and it was hard. And then we moved back to Denver, and she got uh, we we got our own places, kind of did our own thing for a little while, and then uh, we ended up. She got pregnant. We got married. Like all, all happened kind of at the same time. And I guess I, I had just realized, you know what, this is, this is the woman that I want to spend the rest of my life with, you know. And I, I just got to the point where I couldn't drag my feet anymore. And I think she felt like, what's this guy going to do? Is he serious? Is he, you know? So. Well, it had been five years ago. Yeah. What was it about each other that you fell in love with? Oh, well, so I'm a, I'm a musician. I think the fact that she liked that about me was very attractive to me. 
Uh, she's got such a beautiful smile, and she's just so beautiful and radiant. I, I, I don't know. I think that was the big thing that, yeah, really, I really fell in love with. Is she's just so beautiful and and so um, soft spoken, and yeah, just just that that was very. She was very attractive to me. So and it grew into more than more than that. So. I don't know what it is about me. Well, I think, um, you know, I was 24 when I went into the program, and it was two years, like you said, and there was a lot of, most of those men liked to, you know, they were like, well, the women were like prey, you know, for these men. And so, one thing that really stood out to me, and that was in the world I was in before I went. I was I had an alcohol addiction and um, drugs too, but more alcohol. And um, just the people I hung out with were, you know, I didn't have a lot lot of self worth. I didn't have any confidence. So basically, my looks equated to. Um, my worth and so i was very used to men coming after me in that way and he was never that way to any of the women in our program and that really stood out to me and so um yeah it was very intriguing and um and it wasn't until we were out when i saw him um that I started realizing that because he had a girlfriend, you know, through the program. And so I didn't, we just didn't, you know, mess with each other. But um, he wasn't with her anymore when I saw him at the meeting. So um, she broke up with me when I went in, pretty much. <laughs> I didn't know it till a year later, but yeah. So we, so we just, started hanging out as friends and I think just he was very calm. He was very uh, just had this sense of I don't know, like I just felt emotionally safe with him right off the bat. And and I'd never felt that before. So I think, you know, he is very intelligent, he's very talented. And there's there's a lot of things that I, I didn't always I don't think I could uh, articulate that back then the same, but I had a lot of issues. I was very broken and it took a lot of years to heal and I mean I still work on it daily. So we've come very far from back then. Sometimes I look back. And I really wonder how we're still together. But, um, you know, there is some probably about the first 10 years of our uh, relationship was not good. It was very rough. Yeah. Very rough. Very rough. Yeah. We both had so much baggage and so much undealt with trauma that we didn't even, we had no idea, you know. And, and now, as we continue to, we, we work really hard on that. and and identified so many things in our lives that cause us to you know become the way we are but we didn't you know it just all of our all of our nasty trauma pretty much came out of each other and we were both you know victims of well you did this so i'm going to do this and you made me and you acted like this so i did this it just it was a lot of that that we had to you know really take a look at and it wasn't until about 2014 when we so we had got we started out we, we did all right we we just we kind of had a family with my older my two older boys and then Zeke Zeke was born but then I, I got back into my addiction and I think we both just started going down a a really 
dark path that time. And we had come to the point where, like, we lost everything in 2014. We lost everything in a very, very traumatic way. We were we were out of our home. We were homeless. We, we lost our, our youngest son. Luckily, it was only temporarily. And we were just kind of, you know, had to, had to completely start our lives over at that time. And some of the people that we had talked to and that tried to help us along, like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Red Rocks Church in Denver, but there's, they're a pretty good church in Denver and they, they helped us get started and kind of, you know, picked us up from when we were both at our, at our worst. And Gary, who's a, also a marriage counselor, we started seeing him, you know, and he was like, man, I don't even see how you two can sit in the same room together and you'd be so peaceful. So even though there was a point in time where we were, we did not get along, he never really disrespected me, never, never, you know, neither one of us aired our stuff out. We kept it very private and we didn't involve any of our kids or anything but we just come to a point i think we both hit that same point at the same time through different sources that we got to change like i knew i had to change everything in my life or else you know i'm going to lose everything you know in order for me to get back to having a decent life then you know i had to make some major changes and we both kind of went down that same road Luckily, how long did how long did both of you struggle with addiction prior to meeting? So for me, it was been my entire life, pretty much since I was uh, maybe 13, 14 years old, up until I was about forty six. So most most of my life, I I spent in and out of uh, prisons or treatment centers, detoxes, rehabs, jails, whatever. So it was kind of a constant thing for me, for her. Um, I would say, uh, it, you know, it's kind of was progressive. So I started when I was 14 um, dabbling and stuff, but I didn't really get addicted until... I don't know, maybe 17, 18, when it really took a hold of me, and then it just spiraled. So by the time I was, I mean, it was, it was short lived compared to him because I was, like I said, 24 years old by the time I went to the program. And then once I got out, um, it didn't become, you know, I didn't. It circled back around in about 2013, but really in 2014. So it was September of 2014 when really everything hit the fan and we lost everything. And so from there, I knew that um, there were huge consequences at this point. And I knew that I needed to get help. I was not going to lose my kid, and that was the most important thing to me. And I had to put our relationship and anything we had going on on the back burner, and just focus on my child. And so I, at that point, went back to AA and got a sponsor, and really started diving in to my step work and working on myself. And um, I kind of allowed him to just go do what you're going to do because he was, we just weren't on the same page at the time. And so, um, so I worked on myself and I, I by, um, well, I started going to Red Rocks and getting the counseling. And then he started to go with me. And, and, he just, and yeah, I just ended up there. Because she was giving me a ride one day and was like, you can either wait here or go inside. So and he went with me and, you know, and he 
So he started doing that. And then they also did a um, like a six week course for a marriage course. And um, we ended up taking that. And the, the uh, book, the workbook, really, for me personally, anyway, he can talk about his view on it, but it had a lot of, you know, these questions and, and things that it really brought stuff to my awareness of my part in like just something simple that I can't remember what the question was, but something about what do you, what would you like your spouse to do differently or something? And that his, one of his answers was for me to smile at him when he came in the room or something. I thought, wow, yeah, who wants somebody just scowling when you walk in a room, right? So I was like, okay, I can change that. And so it was just those simple things that I really started to, um, you know, get that self-awareness and, and uh, know that I need to change also, you know, because I could tell you everything he needed to change, but to see what I needed change as well but that didn't end there we actually took that twice but um it, it was very hard to try to stay married to him i think at that time and i did actually end up giving him divorce papers and i still have them somewhere and i think for him that was yeah, that was an for me turning point would you say that that was both your rock bottom year or, you know, yes. was there a different point that was a rock bottom for that both was, of you? That was a rock that bottom. That was it. Yep. 2014. I can pretty much tell you the date. <laughs> how how yeah. much sobriety did you have before starting to use again? Before what? Before starting to use again. Because you guys met and you were in a program. So that was, you know, like 15 years before that, right? Or 12 or so probably, uh, I'm going to say seven, six, seven years, maybe. It was what I thought was enough at that point, but I hadn't really worked on myself. I had just worked on, you know, being sober and. Or just, you know, I, so I, I went to the program because I was forced to go. It was either that or a 12 year prison sentence. So ultimately I went in there and I had to be there long enough to be, to get clean. And after a couple of years, I had, you know, I'd got my head together and I thought, yeah, I got this under control, but I never, I never worked on, you know, what caused me to continue to make those same cycles. Cause ever since I was young, you know, I started doing this and at 18, I, I went to a treatment center because I had I was so bad I had broken a couple needles off in my arm uh, from cocaine use and I did a 30 day it was long enough for me to get clean so I could go out and do it again then then I went down this path again and then that ended up uh, taking me to a six year prison sentence then a couple years of you know three or four years of getting clean through prison and getting out and then doing you know same thing just the cycle kept getting longer and worse and worse because I, I hadn't worked on so many things in my life that caused me, you know, and it was all around my mom leaving when I was, was a little boy. You know, my dad was, you know, I, I hate to say the word abusive, but he was very angry and he parented me like a drill sergeant, you know, and, and it was just, it was, it was rough. So it was just me and my brother and my dad. So we had this, I had this, you know, I had to put up these walls and become this really hard person. And the only way to know that was, was drugs. And I, and I never really uh, went back and, you know, started peeling those layers back until I started doing the work after, you know, probably 2014, 2015, as I started to get sober and clean again, it was like, what do I got to do so that I don't even go down these roads again? Damon, can you talk about the the car accident and why do you think that that wasn't a rock bottom time? Well, it was in a in a different sense. It was it was a major rock bottom for me. So, 
yeah, I had I had met this woman when I got out of prison, and uh, we had two boys, and we'd been together for seven and a little over seven years. And one night we were uh, driving back from Pueblo, and we went off the road road and rolled over, and my boys got injured really bad, and she died. So yes, it was very, very. Uh, and I was on a path of destruction, and I, I wouldn't allow myself to sleep for I don't know. It seemed like a year went by that I, that I didn't sleep. I was just abusive to myself. I didn't care. I wanted to. I wanted to die. They didn't want to be the one that took my own life. But I also had two boys that that I knew that needed me. So. Like I, I, I had that. I think kind of got me through that. But all of that, the the drug use, and just my life had gotten so out of control. That's when I ended up back in jail and was looking at a twelve year prison sentence. And then I went to a halfway house. I was there for like six, seven months. That didn't work. I went back to the jail. And they, the alternative was to go to Stout Street. So I was I was really a, a wreck when I went to Stout Street, but it was like it's either I'm gonna either do my time here or I'm gonna do my time in prison. I don't want to go back to prison. So that was yeah, it was a low spot in a different way uh, than this one because you know, I've had I've had two major rock bottoms in my life and, and those were both of them. Um, this one was uh, I don't know. It was just different. They, they were they're complete, two completely different, you know, massive uh, events in my life that, you know, I've had to do a lot of healing around. Were and, you and able to raise your older sons or did someone else raise them? I was for a while, but I wasn't in any shape to raise them because I drug them around with me. I, I just went. I was 24 hours a day up. And so, you know, I, I dealt with meth. For years i battled meth addiction so it was just that was my thing and, and i had become a meth cook so it was like i had it all the time <clears throat> and so for me to just constantly stay that way but i was i had my kids with me and it was it was a mess until i finally uh had got arrested luckily i had dropped them off at my brother's house and they uh when i got arrested and, and so they weren't with me. And so my brother helped me. Yes, I have. I owe a lot to my brother and his wife because when I left the Stout Street, I'm like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. You know, can you help me and watch my kids? So for a couple of years while I was gone, they took my kids and they did a really good job. So I was really lucky that I had somebody there that could help me with that. But for quite a while, I, I just I was a mess and I tried to raise them. And every time it seemed like every time, and I was just telling her this, it seemed like every time I tried to get something back together, I, I got a place, I put my oldest boy in school, and the trailer that we were in caught on fire and burned down. So now I was I was I was homeless again, and I had my two kids, and that's you know, and it just like seemed like I couldn't I couldn't get ahead, I couldn't do anything at that time. But you know, I was I was living a <laughs> A very uh very toxic and dangerous life and so i mean i'm glad it happened the way it did because they're safe and you know they've kind of gone through their own real thing but and you, was, did you say there were six kids all together yes <laughs> and where are so, the other where are the other ones so in the midst of that i met a, a woman that was uh, she was in the drug circle and she ended up getting pregnant. I got her pregnant. And so I had another boy. She's still out, out there, uh, you know, a mess. She hasn't ever cleaned her life up. At least I have a good relationship with, with, with that boy. And he's a, he's a pastor at a church in Minnesota. So he's, he's done really well considering, you know, his life has been really hard. So with me, that's kind of where my three went. And I can kind of let you tell her, she can tell you about, about her three. So her three previous. Yeah, so my first, my oldest just turned 30. 
he, I had him when I was 15. So his dad um, actually just passed away a couple, well, a little over a year ago. And, um, but we were young, we were together like a year um, after he was born maybe. And then, um, but we've always had a pretty good relationship and he, um, he used, well, so he went with his dad when I went to, uh, Step Street and then my daughter went with my mom and then, um, I have another boy and he, he was with his dad. So we couldn't have our kids in the program. So, um, <clears throat> but and the, the third one was just a baby when I went in. So um, for me, I didn't want to come out and interrupt all their lives. And so they just stayed. But my daughter um, would come with us, but she lived close. So the boys would come, you know, we could drive. They, they lived farther away, so. but we would get them. And so we, would, we didn't ever have all of the kids all at one time, typically. Well, not ever, because the third boy also lived far away. So, you know, it was kind of... There'd be like maybe four yeah. at one point where they were all kind of together. Yeah. So, How's yeah. your relationship with them now? Um, Pretty good. Uh, as, yeah. far, as far as uh, my relationship with my boy, my older boys, is is really good uh i think both of our relationships with our, our our boys are pretty good i have a really good relationship with her oldest boy austin i really like like him a lot he's a musician also so they yeah get along <laughs> in that um and zoe she's you know yeah she's so she's always the one, been there she's yeah she's she's the one that we've probably been with the most um just because she's the closest but uh she's the one that's gonna have the baby and i'm so excited for her and um so her and zeke are the closest together yeah so our youngest our youngest boy right? the 14 she, year old she was so excited she was like this is my living baby doll so she really um like today she was what nine i think when he mm -hmm. was born and nine or ten and so she was super excited so they're they're very close and so yeah i think um over the years i've really been intentional about uh, working on my relationship with them and not that it was bad but i um you know with a lot of the healing that i've done on myself i've just re I recognize what damage it did to them. And so, you know, I've been able to really talk a lot about that to them. And I know my oldest um, also battles alcohol addiction and he's had a lot of years where he's really, has, you know, just he's battled that for a long time. And he's just recently gotten sober and is going to AA also. And, you know, he's, he's been, I, I'm really proud of him. He's come a long ways just in the few months he's been sober. And so, um, so we're able to talk a little more about that stuff too. And how, because I think it's really important that you recognize that stuff. And that's what helps you to stay clean because you have to, um, as one of his mentors says, you have to feel it to heal it. If you don't bring it to the surface and, and look at it and, and you know, work, do the work around the things that generally it's from our childhood, then I, it's, uh, you're always going to be wanting to um, numb, you know, and so it's 
or you're just going to avoid and you're going to be a workaholic or, you know, whatever you're going to do, you know, work on those things. You don't have to look at those issues. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I think feeling those things and staying clean, in my experience, go hand in hand. So That's prior to up until 2014, would you say that the two of you didn't really delve into those issues at all? You know, and just kind of was repeating the same chaotic circle or yeah. cycle? Yes and no. I, for me, I different than him. Um, for me, when I went to Stout Street, that is, we had a lot of classes and that's where a lot of my awareness started to come. But it was just seeds, you know, yeah. and, and I didn't really grasp everything yet or even that I was really truly an alcoholic or what that looks like. I thought, oh, you know, later on, it was a lot of years, but I thought, oh, well, I don't know, maybe I wasn't an alcoholic. I've been fine all these years. I can, you know, and, and it didn't take long, you know, to up to 2013, 14 in there to very quickly take that first drink. And then it was the second. And then it was, you know, each day was closer and closer until it took me down again. And I just down spiraled and it got worse than previous. Did anything happen at that time? Yes. So I was in, I was back in the drug game and I was on a stolen motorcycle and I got pulled over by the cops and they were, I had no idea that this motorcycle had been the focus of a major uh, auto theft ring. And they came and they raided the house and they destroyed our house. And they found more drugs. And then they, they found a lot of things that they, just because of my past, they automatically assumed, you know, I was, you know, doing, I was doing the bad things, you know. And so, the police got involved and that they they came in and they tore our place apart we uh, both were taken to jail well he didn't go to jail right away i did i went to jail and i was i had a just a big a big stack of charges that i had to deal with so and i had no idea what was going on yeah none so it was completely like pulling the carpet right out from under me and i was like blindsided so there was a lot of things going on and you just didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. There was, there was I mean, a lot was... going on. I, we were, well, I think uh, I was got to the point in my addiction where I didn't, I didn't really, I guess I didn't care anymore. I had taken over so much. I think she was dealing with her addiction and uh, was so far out of we were both so far out of touch with reality and that um, and each other and each other that we i was doing my own thing and she was doing her own thing and so like half the time we didn't know where each other were and we would we would come to, okay my turn to watch zeke or whatever and so we were just completely disconnected from from our, our lives and each other why do you think you were so motivated to help yourself heal this time and not the other children as well? As far as me, I just realized I'm a habitual offender. I've been, I've been in you know, jails and prisons. And I knew that if I got out of this, that, you know, it's like, I, I don't ever want to be, I had hated the person that I had become. It's so bad that I just decided that I, I got to do everything I can to become somebody completely different. And I knew that there would be a way that once I got myself clean, that I would have to go. I always got clean for the wrong reasons before, but this time I went out and I looked for what all of the resources I need to that I never did before. And, and I and I guess a lot of things were showed to me and were brought to me 
that I had no idea even existed. Uh, so, like, I knew about NAAA, but I didn't know about mentoring. I didn't know about, you know, those kind of groups, like what the, the stuff that we're involved with now. I had no idea any of that stuff existed before because I guess I wasn't looking for it. But now as I started intentionally looking for how can I help myself, how can I be the best version of myself, I never really focused on my, my health. I never really focused on, like, now I want to be the best husband I can. I want to be the best father I can. I want to be the best business person I can. I want to I want to be the healthiest person I can. And I want to, you know, like every aspect of my life, I want to be the best at where I never, I never had that before. I just wanted to get clean so I wouldn't be in trouble. Yeah, I think it was a little different for me. Um, I didn't feel that way at all. I always, when I went to jail and got more clear-headed um, coming off drugs and alcohol, um, that was always the biggest, most painful part is um, being away from my kids. But um, I just, when you're so into your addiction and you're just numbing, it's not to do, it's not fun to be an addict or an alcoholic and be out of control and just can't get that next fix or just that's what you're focused on. It's not fun, but it's definitely, um, you're wanting to numb and stop all of the pain. So it's, you're just jaded. And I couldn't, so it's not that you don't care about your kids, you don't love them. So when I was coming off, I didn't have that numbing factor going on anymore. You know, it it was so painful. And so when you're stuck in that cycle of shame, you know, you're going to then go drink more because now I feel more shame. So now I'm going to go drink more and it just keeps going. And it's like a snowball effect. So every time I was away from my kids, it, got, it was so painful. And that's when I went to treatment. That was the first time I've been to treatment. Is when we went to Stout, when I went to Stout Street, and so, <clears throat> you know, that's what I did it for. I was like, I, I want my kids back, and for a lot of years, I did do, you know, live a, a good life. I had my own business. I did hair for over twenty years, so at that point, a little less, but you know, so I was succeeding in in life, and had my kids in my life, and. I just, um, you know, there's there's layers to healing. There's layers to, you know, all, all the, you know, you get older, you get wiser, right? And so, um, so for me, Stout Street was the first uh, place that I took classes and became aware of issues, of trauma, of, you know, these um, patterns we have. And so when I got out, you know, then I, um, I did step work or I did, so I had different, um, modalities or whatever to, to, uh, to look in, but it's like, like I said, like a layer of an onion, right? So you go deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, one thing you, I read a lot of books. I, you know, did, um, I've been to retreats, I've done, you know, done all these different things and you just, one thing you know, opens up another door to something else. So at that time in 2014, I just didn't know what I know now. You know, I just hadn't gotten there yet to um, like the last probably five or six years. I do, uh, I've been so blessed to work with my aunt who does um, childhood trauma, like brain work, or which I, I'm not sure what it's called, but it's probably similar to a lot of things they call different, uh, they call it different things, but it's the neuroplasticity, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so we do some really deep childhood trauma. And I think that has been a game changer, but I didn't have that back then. So my understanding, like I said, I didn't even know really what alcoholic meant. You know, I mean, you do, you know, the gist, but I didn't realize 
like I said, I questioned it. Well, maybe I'm not. I've been good for this many years, you know, and so it just took the journey it took. But I tell you, in 2014, that changed everything for me because the day I called my friend and was like, hey, come get me, take me to AA, I knew that, you know, this now again, I got my kid taken away again. I thought I was going to do this the right way. This one was going to be different, and and it wasn't. And that caused me some uh, a lot of PTSD, basically, for a lot of years. I couldn't even look up at people. I was so full of shame. And that was the worst that I'd ever felt because I did it again. I, I should have known better. Why did I, how did I let this happen again? You know, and, um, and I knew I was like, I will never, now I know I'm an alcoholic. I will never allow myself to be in that position again. So I had to um, make sure that my mind, body, and spirit were always in check because I've always dealt with anxiety, very high anxiety depression, stuff like that. And so obviously like that, the alcohol calmed that, you know, and now I can't use that as an option. So I have to always be very diligent and always be intentional about my healing and what I'm doing. I don't ever, I'll never go there again, you know? And so that, that was, it was just different. You know, addiction treatment is very complex because, you know, what works for someone or what is the pivotal moment for one person might be different for another person. In fact, it always is, right? It's going to be different for each each person. And, and I think a lot of people ask, like, what was your rock bottom to see what what was that motivating factor for you to help motivate someone else? Right. And a lot of times in addiction, people say you can start uh, treatment or start working on work in the program for someone else. But eventually you have to do it for yourself. Right. And, and so what what would you both say to someone who is struggling in the same way right now? Right. What what kind of advice or what would you say to them to, to maybe help guide them towards their motivating factor? Well, what is it? I, I, first, I would probably have them figure out who are the five most important people in their lives um, and, and look at that. And what is it costing them by you not being present? Know, what are, what kind of effect are you having on those people and what is it costing you in that way what's it costing you you know monetarily what is it costing you to do that and, and do you want to continue to you know how big is that cost what does that got to be before you're willing to make a change when you start relating it to you know what you're taking away from the ones that love you the most, that, that's a that's a big one, you know, and that because it helped me through my roughest times. It's like what what are my what what demon are my kids getting? Because they're not they're not getting me at all. They're, you know, so do I want that when I start maybe putting myself in that position of like, hey, I want my dad. And he's he's decked out. So those are those are some of the things that I've I've learned. And also on the other side of that, who's who is successful at doing what you want to do? And you know, what are they doing? And and how can I follow what they're doing? Because that's that was a lot of for me is what are these people doing different that I that I didn't do? Or what are they doing to become, you know, successful? Or how are they keeping themselves from, you know, going out and using again? So when I started finding those kind of people and looking for that, but that's the thing is you have to look for it. You have to have that need for change. Mm -hmm. and that's that's 
that's the number one point. And that's the first chapter in my book is the need for change. Until you have that need for change, what is that motivator? Yeah, I think I think that's actually a really hard question to answer because just like you said, I mean, I so example with my oldest son, um, of course I wanted him to be sober. I had to watch him for a lot of years wreck his life. And you know, he he wasn't I, I, of course I would say things, hey, 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 or you know, whatever, and it does until someone's done that you can't do anything for them. Um, I, I, uh, he ended up with some severe consequences and almost dying from drinking and ended up in the hospital um, multiple times. But the last time, um, it was starting to give him really bad seizures, like eight hour long seizures where he was out and, you know, and it was horrible. So I went to the hospital this last time and went every single day and, and sat with him. And um, I basically told the nurses, I was like, you really need to tell him that each time he does this, it gets worse. And, you know, everything they told me that you need to tell him that because coming from us, you know, he wasn't there to see it. So he doesn't see it like we see it, you know, and it was really scary, but I had only hoped that was going to open his eyes, you know, and because obviously other times it didn't. Well, this last time, you know, he still, I kept encouraging him, like, hey, if you want to go to a meeting, I'll always go with you. And he drank again. And finally he called me one day and I just happened to go into the city he lives in. And um, he had called me and like, Mom, I drink again. And I was like, all right, well, you know what? I could tell he was coherent enough that, hey, I just pulled it into, you know, close to you. Do you allow, I'll take you to a meeting. And he was like, well, I didn't drink. And I said, doesn't matter. Let's go. And he said, let me take a shower. And I'm, I'm going. Finally, took my advice. <laughs> and uh, I went to a meeting with him. And you know, this time, but he had been to him before because he was poor or, you know, and he was like, mm. but until he was ready, till he had enough consequences, you know, mm -hmm. it's going to cost his life. And uh, luckily he doesn't have any, any kids or anything, but, um, you know, once he started going and taking it seriously, you know, he sat in that meeting and it's like, oh, man, and he was just drawn to it. And so I couldn't do anything until he was actually ready. Mm -hmm. You know, which I mean, we know a lot of we actually hire people who are from out of prison and you know on parole and probation and people who have their habits. And all we can do is is be role models and be a support in you know ways without enabling. But we can't make any of them. Yeah, I have a lot of stop. I have a lot of people that work for me, and they're, they 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 deal with the same thing and. I just I know they haven't gone through what the bottom line is. You haven't you have not um, received enough pain. You haven't experienced enough pain or something bad enough in your life to make you want to quit. And usually that's the biggest factor is how you know how how bad is it gonna get? If you try to take away somebody's rock bottom, uh, you will be disappointed because hmm. you'll probably be resentful mad that you made them go to treatment or mad that you made them go to wherever they'll be mad and until and they didn't done, quite get there yep you know, if you don't let them get there on their own there's any it, you can't do anything without you know force sobriety on people and it's definitely a very hard position to be in as a parent to mm -hmm. to watch your kids struggle like that so, Damon, let's let's talk about the book. Okay. What what uh, motivated you to write the book? Ah, uh, so I just I had a lifelong uh, set of stories that you know I've gone through a lot of really crazy experiences, and you know I I 
had to deal with some uh, probably a lot of stuff that most people don't normally deal with, uh, some severe types of trauma. And I just figured, you know what, I, I, I need to write a book. And I've been talking about it for a while. It's like, I'd like to, but I didn't know what I wanted to write about. I just knew I wanted to, you know, kind of get some stories out there. And then I met a guy uh, through one of the storage shed, uh, through one of the groups, mastermind groups that I go to. And he's like, yeah, well, what's, what's stopping you? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. And he said, well, I'm a, I'm a ghostwriter. I can, I can help you do that. And it gave me such a clarity that, uh, and he helped me put that into, into a, you know, a vision. But basically, I really wanted to help people go from, because I, I went from extremely, extremely poor on a, on a farm raising animals to going through this, you know, I, I didn't have a mom. And, you know, going through all of this trouble and uh, fighting addiction and being in and out of prisons and all of this stuff, the car accident and losing losing somebody to becoming a an entrepreneur and owning several different businesses and becoming successful to be able to uh, relate to people and be like it doesn't matter where you're at it doesn't matter what you've done in your life there you there's a way out and there, you know what and i can and i can show you i can help you with you know uh different ways of you know breaking out of the nine to five because that's always that's always been my thing too i've always worked for somebody and once I changed a lot of mindset, um, everything changed. So that was kind of, once I talked to the uh, Mike, who's with the Dream Starter Publishing, once I talked to him, the guy was you know, super good at pulling, pulling things out of people, like getting, the, getting to the stuff. And then it kind of gave me the focus. Okay, I want to write a book. So that I can show people and teach people how to do this and kind of give them a little bit of a a little bit of a, a blueprint to go from this to becoming successful. So and I've I've got probably more coming out. Now this one I wrote, this kind of it was real easy for for somebody to be able to sit down and read. And so I think I want to get a little deeper and more complex into it. Because I was really kind of focusing on maybe people that were uh, that had felonies or that maybe gone to prison or were trying to transfer or make a transition from the nine to five world into becoming a, a business owner or an investor. So I'd learned a lot of tools along the way, and I just wanted to share those. So that's kind of what the, the book's about. My my that's, journey. That's the title, the Breakout Blueprint, which I think is you definitely got a lot of first world real life examples there to draw from yeah it was my life and you know it was it was rough for a lot of years until i until i changed my mindset and that, that's the i think that's the biggest key to everything is when you look at something completely different for one example when i got out of uh, um when i was transferring or transitioning from working a nine-to-five job to doing rehabs, letting that security go. I was always, well, how do you do this without any money? How do you, where do you get the money to, to go do a rehab? Somebody told me, he's like, quit looking for the money. Quit chasing the money because what you chase is going to run from you. And it just like, if I had to change my mindset around that, and he was like, learn how to put a deal together. I'm like, oh, I know how to put a deal together. I know how to do rehab. So once I, I learned a different skill set, then I'm like, okay, there's all kinds of people out there with money that want to be involved. And then I started doing that with like all these different areas of my life. And it's like, oh, wow, this is a, you know, I got to look at this completely different. What am I, what am I after? And what is my goal? So those are kind of the, the things that, because I didn't know any of that stuff, but it was those little moments where somebody said, if you do this, this is going to change and i'm hoping that i can you know put those give those little 
golden nuggets out to people that are being like, oh yeah, because I know there are certain times in my life when light bulbs went off. It's like, oh man, I got this. And I did, and I ran with it. And I went down this avenue and I became successful with this. So, and that's all part of, I think, it's also helps me stay accountable and keeps me sober and clean and working with her to be the best that we can be. So. That's fantastic. And you can get that book on Amazon. Is that correct? Yes. You can get it at Amazon, the breakout blueprint, or you can go to my website, which is just damonnichols.com. I have, I have some coaching stuff in there and uh, I'm building a course and I have material and I have a lot of like really powerful exercises and tools and stuff that we learned that really made now, for me, they were very impactful, and they they changed the way I they looked that I looked at myself. That they changed the way I looked at my child. They changed the way I looked at addiction, and through those different you know exercises, they, they helped me uh, become where I'm at now. So fantastic. So, last question: What is it that your partner does that you know they love you? Excuse me. What is it that your partner does that you know she loves you? Oh, uh, so many things. She's he's there for me no matter what. She puts up with whatever. Not whatever. She puts up with a lot. <laughs> and she always wants to be with me. And that's super cool. Because we're, we're together all the time. I think the fact that she wants to be with me I took that for granted for so many years and I went off and did my own thing. But having somebody that wants to hang out with me all the time is, is super cool. I, I love that about her. So that's a, that's a big one for me there. And how about for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, now you put me on the spot. My mind went blank. Um, no, he does. He does a lot of things that make me feel loved every day. Um, so one thing that I'm really, I really enjoy is our morning times. We um, get to get up and he always will go and make the coffee and bring it to me. And um, just, we just sit and and talk about stuff and just I don't know I really enjoy those moments but he works really hard for our family and um, to give us the life that we have he is probably the hardest worker that I've ever met in my life so the I mean physically hard mentally hard all of it he's very very intelligent and he's and i think the fact that he's willing to he became willing to um better himself to better our marriage showed a lot as well so yeah he shows me he loves me i feel very loved every day all the time that's fantastic it, it is it is nice i i cherish every day we Unless we're out on the road doing a project, we're, we're, we get to lay in bed for an hour or two in the morning and just drink coffee and talk and have massage time. And He gives me massages like every morning. It's so amazing. Yeah. So I think that, that helps us really stay connected. So that's. And then he goes and does his errands for work or whatever, and I go with him. and lunch or just you know i just like hanging out with you. something else when so i started really getting into fitness and i and i'm doing a lot of really crazy competitions and i mean competing in tough motors and spartans and and these deck of fits and doing uh triathlons and all of that and at one time she was like i'll never do that but she's with me she works out with me almost every day i've gotten her to go and do some of these competitions with me things that I think she's never 
thought she'd ever do. And, you know, I, I, I pushed her out of her comfort zone so many times. And she's doing this podcast. And she's willing to do it. And so, yeah. <laughs> like, you signed us up for what? <laughs> well, well thank you guys you know people have been sharing their stories since the beginning of time to bond and heal and grow and we hope that by you guys sharing your story it's enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners thank you we want to thank all of you for joining us today on couple synergy our passion is in helping couples and people have healthy happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please let us know how you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Home Study Course, the next Couples Relationship Enhancement Weekend, and our premier coaching program called Couple to Couple, Look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.